0: Red has helped several pro athletes, companies, organizations, and sports teams overcome their mental blocks, reach their peak potential,
1: increase their performance, produce more results, and just have more fun in their life and business.
0: Bring me the energy, all right? Holding the
1: Roy here, he works with a lot of top-notch Indian athletes. He
0: don't like to take it, take it, and when I say it, but he's a motivational Ooh, speaker, So he's a i like, I like, no, no man. Roy, you done got me out of a few stores. Yeah. Whatever meaning you choose will determine what you experience. someone who has mastered business. On this episode, I am super excited. We're going to be talking to Real Bricker about his lessons he learned after business school. But first, let's bring in the show.
1: This is the Entrepreneur Underdog. Business secrets to help doubted entrepreneurs triumph. Underdog Entrepreneur is where we use fast acting shortcuts to help underdog entrepreneurs make more money, have a bigger impact and live a better lifestyle so that they can prove their haters wrong. And now, your host, Roy Red. Roy Red.
0: Hi everybody, it's Roy Red, five-time best-selling author, internationally recognized speaker and your host of this show, The Entrepreneur Underdog where we discuss fast acting shortcuts to help underdog entrepreneurs win in life and business, so they could prove their haters wrong, but in a positive way. Today I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about lessons learned after business school by Real Bricker, who is a cultural futurist and a business excellence speaker. Speaks all over the world. Real, how you doing, brother? Fantastic,
1: fantastic. Uh... Coming to you from Perth, Western Australia, very different time zone, the magic of technology that we can get here to have a conversation. Uh-huh.
0: We were just talking, I thought it was cool. You have no COVID over there and over there it's 5 a.m. right now. So I just wanted to say thank you for um, coming on here and, um, and, and getting up early and sharing your knowledge with, my, with uh, me and my
1: audience. No problem, I, I love sharing, that's why I wrote a book called what did i you know lessons learned since business school because it was about that it was about sharing sharing the ideas and knowledge that i've got Uh, in 30 years in business so yeah
0: all right so for the few people who don't know what you do what do you do
1: what do you specialize in and and who are you so i work as my current role is probably the easiest to explain Mm -hmm. i work with business leaders to create rich and robust cultures and business excellence using measurable uh, profitability and growth measures in their business. So okay. that's what I do I, to say, what, why do I do it or how do I do it? I'm a professional speaker, um, travel the world, although we used to travel the world before COVID, now we travel by our cameras to yeah. talk around the world. Um, but I'm a businessman at heart. I listed companies on two different stock exchanges. I still own a financial services group that's done three billion in mortgages. Um And yeah, I'm, I'm I'm passionate about making business better around the world. All That's right. what it's about.
0: Okay. All right, so all right, so what is business? When you know, I tell people on the show all the time. I tell the people that I advise that you want to look at your business in three parts: the before unit, the during unit, and after yeah. unit. Your business is bringing in leads, <laughs> converting leads to sales, and then following up with those leads. How do you look at business um, from a macro standpoint?
1: From a macro standpoint, there's actually a chapter in my book called Businesses About Sales, Don't Tell the Marketing Gurus. And and that's – so you're right. It it is about if you don't have customers coming through the door, Mm -hmm. then you don't have a business. So so it is about how do you get customers to your door? And and it's becoming an ever-increasing world. Um, you know, the internet, people are spending more and more time searching on, on the internet for, for businesses, Google reviews become more critical, all that kind of micro stuff. But at the at the biggest end of town, you have a unique product. And, and it doesn't always have to be unique in, in, in reality. Mm-hmm. You have a product that appeals to a certain segment of the audience. I mean, you know, yes, we'd all like to build a Microsoft or an Apple where every person in the world is our customer. But that's few and far between, you know. Yeah. Our success is measured by, by, by as you said, getting customers, selling them a product or service. And 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 I come to came to a great realization many years ago that I'm not a product person. I'm a service person. I can sell services, and then hopefully, like in my in my mortgage business, in my financial services business, four and a half thousand clients later, I'm now working with the grandchildren of my first clients. And so it's about referral marketing. It's about just, doing the right thing, being able to sleep at night when I've sold a product or a service to a client, particularly in my case, a service. And I wake up in the morning and I go, yep, I've done well for those clients. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's awesome, that's awesome. Real quick, let's say hi to everybody in chat. Thank you for everybody who just joined the live. We're talking about lessons learned. Beyond Business School with Rail Bricker, and we're about to dive into uh, how to build a business, how to master business, and uh, Rail was just explaining to us how sales are super important. Uh, Rail, before we kind of dive into how to get leads, how to get sales and all of that stuff and get into the, t- the tactical stuff, um, tell me what you think about zombie companies, those companies A lot of them are tech companies That don't really sell anything And in my opinion uh, One of those companies is like Clubhouse They had a billion dollar Evaluation in just six months But they don't sell anything There's not actual money coming in And I was trying to explain to people How they are private And they go public In order to uh, Become liquid so they can have More money to To um, to grow the company but it's a zombie company because there's no actual cash flow coming in all they have is eyeballs do you feel like just having people on the platform is worthy of an actual company
1: um i think there has to be an ultimate revenue model i mean if you look at you know uh, google you know google for many years um, didn't have revenue you know it was it it was out there as a startup i'll tell a quick story so i come from i'm in australia in in 1999 to 2001 i was running a a venture fund here in australia and we listed that fund on the australian stock exchange during that time i went to silicon valley to meet up with some venture capitalists to a you know Build relationships but more importantly we'd invested in a company that had moved to Silicon Valley and we we're helping them with the next round of funding yeah. and, and yeah. I'll never forget that the conversation with a large VC fund over a breakfast mm-hmm. and it, 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 nothing's changed in 20 years this is 20 years ago mm-hmm. where I said to him so how do you value these businesses and you know we're talking you know 99 20 uh, 2000 2001 was the start of the tech boom It was the start of these zombie companies coming out. And I said to him, well, how do you value companies? Like what, what metric do you use? We, you know, I, I've come from business school. We used to use price and earnings. Well, there's no earnings. Yeah. And he went, yeah, you're right. And I said, well, then we wanted to use a revenue ratio, like how much revenue they're generating and a sum ratio of that. Mm-hmm. And, and he said to me, well, we don't have revenue. So I said, so how do you value these businesses? And he said we use something called a PS ratio, and my brain ticked over, and I went. I went to business school. I don't remember a PS ratio. Tell me what a PS ratio is. And and he said it's the price of the story, and the price of the story in Silicon Valley is never less than a hundred million. And that was twenty years ago. And of course, uh, uh, you know, three months later we had a tech crash, the first of the tech crashes. So so you worry about these weird. Price of the story valuations. I mean, Clubhouse, great example. Like I, I, I go on a Clubhouse, you know, two three hours a week. Some people are spending, you know, two three hours every session. They're on Clubhouse. I can't. I I can see the opportunity, but I can't see their own revenue model unless it becomes a paid subscription model. Which, but, but you'll lose. You know three quarters of the people who are just there fishing yeah. and they're not really wanting to spend money, so I don't know where that model's going. I, I, I think it's a crazy valuation. I think they've done an amazing job of getting followers, yeah. Um, and, and there are people who absolutely love Clubhouse. Yeah. I just think it's. I was talking to someone last night who runs a, a room every day on Clubhouse, he's a, from the UK, a business associate of mine, and he was saying. The levels of engagement are just getting worse and worse because there's just so much more noise on Clubhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, what, yeah. and, and so somehow they, have to, they they try to make it exclusive mm-hmm. and create a value. I think they've lost that that idea. Yeah. Exactly. That's
0: exactly. what I was about to say. It was it was exclusive. the exclusivity is why I loved it at the beginning, but now it's not really exclusive. Everybody let everyone in. And I was on a year ago, and it was cool to have you know high-level people in there discussing stuff. They're sharing stuff. But I agree with you. I don't know what their model is going to be. But if they can figure it out, we'll see kind of what happens. Um, I learned kind of all this by learning MA and um, and, you know, taking classes at Harvard on M&A. And my, my goal is to roll up a, a fragmented industry and then sell it to a RIT or or go public uh, like you said you did a couple times. Um, yeah. How hard is it to go public with a private company?
1: I I mean, I don't think it's hard. I I think it's, I I think it, you know, from on a personal level, both the companies that I've taken to the stock exchange. So the first was an education business in South Africa. um, And and the second was a venture fund in Australia. Mm -hmm. They both had substance to them. Yeah. And and potentially I'm old school. I'm in you know my mid fifties, and so maybe I'm a little bit old school. But you know, I, I remember going around having to raise money for both of those and doing investor presentations with with sort of real numbers with with, with so the, the actual process wasn't hard. I mean, mm-hmm. in Australia, the reverse listing is quite a popular um, option because there have been lots of. Companies listed that never worked, and the shell just sits there. And basically, you go out, you buy the, you buy, you know, a majority shareholding in a shell for a couple cents a share, um, and then you go and change the name. You re, you know, you reinvigorate it. I mean, we did a front door listing of the venture fund. In other words, we wrote a prospectus, we went out and raised money, got the minimum number of shareholders. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. We weren't looking to ramp the valuation. I think that's the big thing. So you're right. You're saying you want to roll up some businesses, you know, sell it or go to a listing. Um, I mean, there are opportunities, but at the end of the day, the the other thing is, I think the world is in a little bit of a of a of a runaround of money at the moment. There is there's a lot of money that is that is just going around in circles. As an example. Um, you know house prices around the world are going crazy in a lot of places why because people aren't traveling so there's extra money floating around in the economy so people are on on a very micro level you know fixing their houses up doing that sort of thing the same applies at the big end of town you know people have said well oh, we better plan for our retirement so they've invested in retirement annuities retirement funds etc you know the the the, and I'm not going to mention any fun names, but they're great big international funds. who are sitting on cash and going, what do we do with it? And if we don't do something, we're not going to get more cash because our our clients are going to think we're not doing anything. Yeah. So it's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy of we've got to find things to invest in and let's invest in a clubhouse because it's cool. It's hip. it's It's the latest and greatest. Are we going to make money out of it? Yeah. Who knows? My 17-year-old my, my son, I was going to say 16, but it was his birthday on the weekend, so I better not insult him. Um, my 17-year-old son is uh, in his final year at school, and he plays around investing on the stock market. So there are a couple micro-investing platforms in Australia, one of them called Spaceship um, that he uses. And, and you can micro-invest $500 at a time in portions of shares. So it's quite interesting. You could buy half thousand dollar share yeah. um, and it's really designed for people who want to micro invest yeah. but what, what impresses me is the 17 year old sat me down yesterday when I got home from 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 the office and he said to me can you spend an hour or two a week at the moment because I'm in your final year at school I need to focus but I want to learn about finance mm. so, so he's being influenced by the media he's being influenced by the Bill Gates. He's being influenced by the billion dollar valuations on Clubhouse, but he said before he does, before he goes and invests in those things, he wants to understand it a bit more. So can I spend an hour or two a week with him? So what we'll probably end up doing is going to a coffee shop, because that way his sister and his mother won't bug us, and, and or my wife, I should I say, that's, uh, I better better get the terminology right. Um, But we'll sit there quietly in a coffee shop for an hour or two a week, having bonding time and doing that. That's, so we'll, we'll actually talk about finance yeah. um, at that yeah. micro level. So I think that's where the world is, yeah. that every good idea, if you package it up correctly, there are people out there who will invest in it. Yeah,
0: that's so amazing. Um, we, we kind of have a similar um, platform here called Robinhood. And what I've been trying to explain to boomers and the generation that's leading us is now fi- finance is getting cool. It's starting to be the rock stars in the next five or 10 years are going to be the people who understand finance, who understand the market, who understand uh, business. It's not music and sports anymore. That's getting moved out. It's now going to be the financial guys. And so now kids really want to understand and know finance. Um, I want to ask you really quick um, for my own kind of learning we have a uh, leader over here who who can't even make it up the stairs without falling, and he thought it would be a cool idea to print a lot of money uh more than we have in the past two centuries uh last year, which I believe is gonna make the rich richer and the poor poor because now everybody's assets are gonna still have their value, but there's gonna be let the money's gonna be worth less to buy those assets. Where do you see the stock market and the housing market globally going? Um, And in my opinion, I think it's probably gonna. I think there's a bubble and it's gonna crash the stock and the housing market. Maybe not in Australia, but um, maybe globally, or
1: maybe in just in, in America. Well, no, okay. So I think if we look at residential housing. And, and that's obviously my, one of my areas because of my financial services group.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If we look at residential housing, I think that there's going to be bigger trends worldwide. So there's a lot of conjecture. I do a lot of futurist work on, well, where is the future of um, of of business? You know, working from home. Let's just use that as an example. So what is the impact of working from home On the property market, residentially. I mean, commercially is a different issue right now. But if we look at the residential market globally, what we're seeing is that people are going to move, they're going to go, companies are going to say, and, and some major corporations in the US and Australia that have said their staff can all work from home. So, what is happening? People are going, well, why do I need to pay $2 million? For a house within 10 kilometers or 10 miles of the of the of the office where i was going to commute 10 miles and some cities 10 mile commute could take you an hour you know in 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 morning traffic people are now going and saying let's move a hundred miles out of town uh, as long as there's some form of transport a train or something else that will bring us into the city every two weeks for our meetings or one week for our meetings so you'll find that properties outside of the fringe larger land. So I think, you know, you, instead of raising kids in downtown in, in, in Upper East Side, New York, I mean, it's a fantastic place to, to live, right? But you know, as a, as a as an aspirational place, but but if you could move to New Jersey, or to Westport, Connecticut, yeah. you know, you can yeah. still commute into the city once every two weeks, yeah. but you've got land, you build a house. So what happens with those houses? Here's the other thing, houses are going to change. So instead of a – I'm going to use American terminology now – a 10-square-meter or 100-square-foot um, home office, mm-hmm. you're going to go to a 500-square-foot home office because you've now got land. Yeah. Because that's, you don't want to be sitting in a little box working at home. Mm-hmm. You want to be on your land, in your place. Um, and so we're already seeing it in Australia. We're seeing the price of property – Going up, almost the reverse of what's happened for the last 100 years, which was the closer you got to the city, the more expensive. We're now starting to see regional pockets within 100 kilometers of the cities or, you know, 70 miles or something like that growing. So that's one of the changes in residential property. Um, The converse of that is that I do see a bit of a crash Mm -hmm. because people overpaid for properties close to the city. Um, and so those properties are going to be under price pressure. You know, there are people who who still, you know, want that inner city lifestyle. Yeah. If you think about most cities in the world, a lot of them are built on water. No, most are built on water. You know, most major cities in the world are built on, on on a body of water, particularly for some reason. Well, well, you still want to be close to the water. You still want to be close to the beach. Those properties will always have value. Yeah. But I think for the average you know salaried employee who has to pay a mortgage they're going to be moving out of town creating new pockets out of town that but the converse is commercial property is tanking already in australia yeah. um you know 30% vacancy rate in, residen- in in commercial property in our state you know vacancy rate of less than 1% in residential property oh, wow so um That's because companies are are closing down corporate offices. Microsoft around the world are are shrinking the size of their offices around the world because they've worked out that staff are 20% more productive working from home. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Now that you put it that way, I see exactly what you mean because that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, And there's Los Angeles and then there's like Orange County and everyone's moving out towards like the inland empire which is 45 minutes an hour away just like you said the houses are 200,000 cheaper you could drive in no problem and it's a better place to raise a family and just have nicer homes and it just it's just it's just better. Uh, let's reset the room. Thank you for everyone watching live. We are talking to Rail Bricker about lessons learned beyond business school. Make sure you jump in the chat ask the question on the right side or just give a comment, like the video subscribe all of that good stuff if that'll be on your right side if you're on youtube below if you're on facebook and i believe that'll be below if you're on linkedin as well well let's get tactical leads how can i get more leads
1: leads 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 into my business so so i think that's probably so, so what do we do okay so my financial services group we we're somewhat spoiled because we we've been around 20 years Mm -hmm. we have a big client base so i have personally four and a half thousand clients that i've dealt with um you know so i'm i'm communicating with them because i the warmest lead you can get is a referral from an existing customer and so you mentioned you mentioned when we started this conversation you said you know you get leads you service them you sell them your product or service and then you communicate and then you keep in touch with those customers. I see too many businesses who are transactional. In other words, um, realtors are a classic example. And, and, and I love realtors because they've made my mortgage business successful because they sell properties and we organize the mortgages. So, so, so we work well. But, but the, the real estate business is transactional. They are focused on their next sale. They, they they're chasing the next bright shiny object because that is the nature of their business. You know, they don't really go back. They don't really um, you know keep in touch with their clients. And 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 I haven't found realtors anywhere that actually do that. So that's a you know classic example. So how do we get leads in the business? We we number of ways. So we have found in in the in the business of of, of of large asset purchases, so we're not talking about give me sorry, one sec. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is 5 a.m. So the voice is still waking up. <laughs> <you> know. <clears throat> okay. The um, so large asset purchases such as houses and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is about personal relationships. So 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 one of the the, the, the defining you know so so a lot of my team members are parts of networking groups mm-hmm. so the rise of networking groups has become phenomenal around the world so ivan mazna who's probably the king of it started bni many many years ago um global business he sold it to a vc fund um, re, you know a few years ago but ivan mazna started bni as a as a as a formalized networking group yeah now that from a number of my team for a number of my brokers on the team is their primary source of leads because we're talking about big chunks of money we're not selling um five dollar or ten dollar items on ebay or an amazon etc so so we are we are in the business of selling big chunks of money four hundred thousand five hundred thousand million dollar mortgages where by and large, it's not a transaction somebody's going to do online. It's a transaction. Even our Gen Zs and our and, you know and our millennials are still not buying mortgages online in Australia. They are buying through a mortgage broker. So, just to give you a, a, an idea, when I started that business twenty years ago, and you'd think why did I start a business when seventeen percent at the time of mortgages were written through the brokers and, and and obviously 83% were written by people walking into their local bank. 20 years later, 61% of mortgages are now written through brokers and 39% direct through the banks because we provide a superior service and we're talking big chunks of money. So, so networking is one of the keys, but not networking for the sake of networking. So, my on my podcast the business excellence podcast one of my my co hosts lindsay adams is known as the relationship guy mm-hmm. and he teaches people that when you go networking you always go with a wing buddy so if i'm going to a function and uh, with you roy and, mm-hmm. and 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 i want i brief you i tell you what to tell people about me okay yeah. and i know that sounds really e- egotistical but it's not because you and I meet somebody for the first time, and, and if I said, you know what? I'm the greatest mortgage broker in Australia, yeah. I'd go, yeah. what an idiot. Who is this tosser? Mm-hmm. Okay? But if you turn around mm-hmm. and go, mm-hmm. hey, this guy, meet Rail. He's the greatest mortgage broker in Australia. You've said it, not me. It's out there in the universe. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so so, so th- you ask about leads. Leads in our world come from those one-on-one building relationships. I spend a lot of time going to networking functions. Um, I mean, I'm, I've got to wear two hats. Although behind me, there's a whole lot of hats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but I wear two hats. One is my mortgage broking business, mm-hmm. and one is my professional speaking business. Now, the beauty for me is there's no channel conflict because my professional speaking is for businesses, right? I talk to businesses, I work with businesses, make transformational stuff in businesses. So for me, the networking is a business to business level, whereas the mortgage guys, my mortgage team, are all individuals, they're talking to consumers, different, so very different. So I can wear different hats depending on who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. Networking has probably been the biggest generator of business over the last few years. We used Google search for a long time, paid search, um uh, you know good keywords etc the problem is that the keywords became so expensive that the cost of the lead was becoming unaffordable we've tried facebook not really successful we've tried linkedin advertising instagram not very successful in our space Mm -hmm. but um in in i'm talking 12 10 to 10 to 12 years ago yeah um paid search not even organic reach paid search was significant in one in in one of our businesses it was generating 50 50 leads a day you know 100 leads over a weekend depending on where we placed it um so you know one of our associate businesses still does some paid um some paid search and they're not even targeting our postcode. They are actually in Melbourne. Yeah. But I would yeah. get from them randomly because the algorithms are not very sophisticated, are not very good in terms of, of geographic location. We still get 10 leads a week randomly out of that oh, wow. without actually paying for it at the moment just because it's organic. Okay. But, but if you're selling low-end product, and that's my experience with a lot of my clients, people that I work with, companies that I work with, And I say low end, not low quality, just low end in the price spectrum. Um, You know, the Facebook advertising where people are making a snap decision after three beers at 10 o'clock at night as they're scrolling Facebook and they've got their credit card handy or their Apple Pay handy. Um, You know, I, I, and it's a bit of a facetious comment, but but that is what a lot of it's about. Yeah. It's about that instantaneous purchase. People are not going to buy a million dollar house, oh, because I saw it on Facebook, okay? Right. um, But they are going to buy a $29.99 online course, you know, super duper massager for your shoulder, whatever the product is that you're selling, and so... The, the guys who are doing it well, you know, the Facebook, um, Instagram advertising, I think paid paid search is becoming less relevant. I think, yeah. um, you know, that, that would be my take on it, is that paid search is becoming less relevant for consumers. Consumer advertising has gone to the social media advertising.
0: Yeah. You now, my phone, um, I just updated yeah, my phones and... When you go into the apps now, it asks you, do you kind of want to be followed? Do you want to share your cookies or your information? And so I was like, oh, wow, that's the thing. So I kind of looked it up and they're expecting 65% of people to say no to that. And so Apple isn't going to be sharing too much data with a lot of these companies, Facebook's, your socials. Um, about where you are. So it's going to be harder with ads. And so I said, oh, well, what is Facebook going to do about that? And I've been kind of looking and it looks like organic uh, reach is coming back strong because Facebook has no other option but to now allow organic reach to happen because that's the only way they're going to be able to get the information within their own platform. So I think Facebook pages and, and, and content and Like back in the day when Organic Reach was working well, it's coming back starting now. Um, But we'll see how it goes. Um, And, um, you know, I'll update all of you guys. And I also want you guys to notice how Rail said the speaking. Like I tell you guys, speaking is the most efficient way to bring leads into your business. You get up and speak in front of 100, 500, 1,000 people. You give your spiel. You show them you can help them by actually helping them. And then at the end, you say, buy my stuff. If you want to go deeper, connect with me. Uh, there's no more efficient way than that. Um, and the most effective way, like Rail said, is to get on the phone. Speaking, most efficient, 101, most effective. Rail, Well, just to, just to fill you in on
1: that, so of my $3 billion in mortgages that we've done in the business, uh-huh. I've sold a billion from stage. So, wow. you know, I'm an absolute believer in doing that. Yeah. And, and why did I do It's because I, I didn't come from a banking background. Yeah. I came from a, a B school, yeah. but a, a real practical background. And I found a way of explaining finance to people mm-hmm. on stage in simple terms without using bank speak. Mm-hmm. And so I'd do a talk for 100 people and I'd have 20 people lining up afterwards to a get my business card and be blocking a time in my diary. So I'd go from Perth to say Canberra or Melbourne, do a talk, and I'd spend the next two days in appointments because I've, I've given them information. That's no different to social media. Yeah. The, 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 you talk to any of the gurus now, content is king. If yeah. you share, you share, you share content, and people say, oh, I want to give away my content. Yeah, You're not giving it away. You're, you're building relationships with people. Yeah. I, I'll see lots of articles on social and I'll go, that person's got a good point of view. I want to connect with them. Oh, yeah. And so it's the same as being on stage. It's just a different form of voice. Yeah. When you're sharing content from the heart, yeah. I think. You can spot the people who are insincere, who are just doing it. You know, you get the person who connects with you. And then and it says the next line says, how are you doing today? You know, yeah. how's your business going? And You can see they're fishing and those are the people I just ignore.
0: So there, I guess there is some, there is some uh, value in that story, that price of story um, that they spoke about as long as you can transition that into actual uh, sales. All right, Real, yeah. this is the part of the show where we go into the red zone where I ask you five fast acting questions that I found are kind of hard for people like us to answer because we love this type of stuff. Uh, are you ready to go into the red zone? Hit it. All right, let's do it.
1: Iroh, what's your favorite book and why? At the moment, right now, it is Radical Candor. Radical Candor. Because every time I show people the model of radical candor, um, you know, so, so the opposite of someone who is a great boss has radical candor. Mm-hmm. They care about you enough to be open and honest. And the opposite of that is ruinous empathy, where, where they they, they've, they they fake sincerity, but they're just doing it because they want to put the knife in. Yeah. Um, it's a great book. It's a great read. Quite academic, but every single person will read it and go, "Oh, I recognize that boss. I recognize that boss in that in that book." You no, know, I'm gonna read that. I
0: was just having the, I've been having this conversation this last week, because I am the guy who doesn't mind telling you, you have a booger in your nose. And I tell people that you don't really love them. Um, There's a rapper named DMX who just passed away. And he had a drug overdose. And I was upset having this conversation with my friends because I said, if that was my friend, I just don't feel like that would happen because I would have ripped him a new one every day. I would have been on him. Even to the point if we had to go to blows, just you gotta, if you really love someone, You'll tell them about themselves in a positive way. You'll just let them know, like, "Hey, man, you got to get it together. You got to stop. Or you got to do this." But um, political correctness yeah. is a is a manifestation
1: of of low self esteem, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a uh, so that that book, read, you know, a friend um, who was actually a U.S. naval commander many years ago, who lives now in in the same state as me. Mm-hmm. Um He introduced me to Radical Candor, and and I just got that model straight away, and, and I bought the book, and I've lent it to a number of people around, and, and they all come back and say, wow, I recognize so many people in that. Yeah,
0: yeah. What's your favorite quote or a quote you live by and why?
1: Um, So there's a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, mm-hmm. weird book, written in the psychedelic 70s, I think, maybe even the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um but as in the book, it says, when you see an insane man, what you see is a reflection of your own belief that they're insane. And and that's ever ever true now where we're so visible on social media. We see people's behavior and we go, God, that person's mad. You know, that's our natural reaction. Geez, that person's mad. Yeah. But but they're not mad by their own definition. They're mad by our definition. Exactly. exactly. And so we have to teach ourselves just to say, yes, let's look at them through their own lens. Mm -hmm. And then maybe their behavior is normal. I mean, as an example, for years, you know, growing up, going to school, you were talking about kids who were not normal, you know, whatever. And, And that's a horrible terminology. So now the terminology, and my wife works in the field um, of special needs, is, is neurotypical and neurodiverse. Yeah. So even that wording is around seeing people through their own lens. And, and that, that quote's been with me since I read that book in the early 80s. Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah that's huge. It's yeah, that's so huge. real. And people struggle. And I tell them that you're cr- everything out here, you're creating here. And so anybody who makes me who I think is, let's just say stupid, for lack of better terms, they're not stupid. I That is what I perceive to be stupid. And that person annoys me and makes me have negative emotions, not because they actually give me the negative emotions. I have the negative emotions because... I'm judging myself. I'm judging my own experience of the person. So really, it's all, it goes back to being internal and working uh, right here.
1: Rel, if you could... It's us us judging the American elections from Australia. You know, we would look at people's reactions and go, you know, in Australia, our two main political parties are just slightly left and just slightly right. Yeah very little difference in truth between them just one slightly left one slightly right yeah. american politics from our opinion in australia was much more divided um and we would have an opinion everybody in australia had an opinion yeah but they didn't yeah. look at the opinion from the people who they were looking at they looked at the opinion from our fairly narrow focused very close together political parties yeah i totally agree i totally agree
0: <laughs> If you could spend 24 hours with anyone in history, who would it be and why?
1: Um, Nelson Mandela. Um, just because I think Nelson Mandela embodied the idea of not hating. Um, you know, he, he came out of jail. So I, I share a special connection. My wife and I spare, share a special connection that Nelson, Nelson Mandela probably never knew about, interestingly. But he, got, he came out of jail on the 11th of February, 1990 at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. On the 11th of February, 1990 at 4 p.m. in the afternoon was our wedding. Um, at the exact same time that he came out of jail, we got married. And so that's why I can quote the exact date and time. But as a person, he came out of jail after 27 years and embraced everybody, embraced people who were the gods who made him sit with a sledgehammer breaking rocks on Robin Island for 20 years. Yeah. And the first thing he did was embrace them. Yeah. And I think we need more people like that in the world. Um, and he was a great loss to the world when he passed away. Yeah. But I think if I could go back in time and spend time with him and understand him and understand how he truly never hated, I think that he was passionate absolutely passionate about the equality in South Africa, which was severely lacking. And I grew up there. Yeah. Okay. But he was absolutely, he, every quote you read of his was about, if we can learn to hate, we can learn to love because they're the same emotion.
0: Yeah. So true. So true. Um, and touching on love, what would you rather be loved or respected?
1: Loved um uh, uh, you know uh, bringing up kids and mm-hmm. and looking at at various forms of religion okay and i'm not going to step on some toes now but but if you take the same religion the same bible the same whatever it is the same dogma there are two ways of of looking at and and, and i'm not and this is not a religious context but it, it's the same as applying with kids if you if kids do an action because they love you yeah. or they fear you they'll they 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 might do exactly the same thing but out of love yeah um, as opposed to doing it out of fear yeah. and so yes you want to be loved you, you 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 I think you know they say love conquers all and all those you know great sayings but that's not what it's about it's about it's just about the fact that love is a great motivator and if you love what you do, you know, there's an old saying that says, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, you know, that's a, that's, that, that's a similar view of the world. You know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. If people love you, they will do things for you out of love, not out of fear. And, and so great leaders, great leaders of the world, and I, and I do a lot of work talking and, and educating and working with companies in the leadership space, If leaders can be loved, people will follow them for love, not out of fear and not even out of respect. So fear, respect, similar spaces. I think you want to be loved, but you want to have tough love, too. You want to be able to have the hard conversations.
0: Yeah. So true. I agree. I agree. What is success to you? What is a successful life in your opinion?
1: I mean, successful life is not driven by the dollars. It is, it is because of what the dollars can get you, mm-hmm. but it isn't. It isn't dollar driven. Success is when I sit back and I look back at my three children, and I look at where they're at in life. Um, the fact that you know, two of my kids are currently studying master's degrees in different parts of the world. Um, they're motivated at this point in their lives. By things like a thirst for knowledge. That's success for me. They're not out there studying just because they want a master's degree. Yeah. They're studying because they truly have grown up in an environment that has made them thirsty for knowledge and hungry to do better in the world and to help the world and save the world. Um, they're doing very different degrees, my two daughters but this is late. This is, they both stopped studying and gone back a few years later, motivated by an internal passion. That for me as a parent is success. Mm-hmm. The fact that in my mortgage business I can count uh, and it's hard because it's, it's, it's into the hundreds of different people of my clients that have become property millionaires over that time, mm-hmm. that success, it, it meant I made money out of it. I, I was financially successful. I've traveled the world. But truly, when these people say I've set them up for retirement and I've set them up for a better life, mm-hmm. that's success. So yeah. it's not always internal looking. In fact, most of the time, success is, is about the mark you leave on the people around you rather than your own internal success. I agree. I agree.
0: Talk about your book uh, really quick. What inspired you to write it and what would your
1: book do to help us? So the book, the, what inspired me? I, I was running my mortgage business. I was one of the first mortgage brokers to what, hit 2 really billion. Cool. What's the title? The, the title is, mm-hmm. I have one right there. I will hold it up to camera. Okay. It's called Dive In, mm-hmm. Lessons Learned Since Business School. Get the lighting right from my, 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 over my lights here. Um, it's called Dive In, Lessons Learned Since Business School. The the story behind it is, two, so twofold. I had just hit uh, $2 billion in mortgage uh, settlements. I was the first independent broker to have done that. And the Mortgage Association asked me to talk at their conference on how to build a business. Now, for the, the 12 or 13 years before that, I'd been on stage talking to people about finance, property, retirement, all those other things. Yeah. Well... Um, I, I, I got there, I spoke at this conference, it went so well, they asked me to do the same talk again, I did it a second time at the conference, I got on the plane and I went, people love that story, let's write the story, Yeah. and so it took me nine months, I started writing it on the plane, on an iPad, nine months later, I finished it, mm-hmm. and then, like most people, I suffered from imposter syndrome, <laughs> I went, no one wants to hear the story, you know, it's my indulgence. It's a self indulgent story. Yeah. Uh, I put it away. And I put it away for two and a half years Yeah. until I was in South Africa doing some consulting work and had dinner with a cousin. And his wife had recently left her job in, in book buying and had started her own publishing company. And she was the first external person that I sent the book to. And I went, what do you think? And she said, it's a little short, like it was 35,000 words. Write another ten thousand words, and then we'll go to publish. Yeah. So, so that was why I wrote it. I mean, I wrote it because it was it was me offloading my story. That was what I did. Yeah. What What does it do for people? It gives lots of practical examples. In fact, the book was called "Tips and Traps from the Trenches," uh, which is one of the chapters in the book. But it was called "Tips and Traps from the Trenches" for many year for for the four years, and it literally changed names three weeks before we published it. Oh. And, and the back of the book is the most telling for all your listeners and, and, and viewers. It's got three lines. It says business is not complicated. Business is simple. Just dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. Oh, there you go. There you go.
0: And I have the book right here. Go and grab it, guys. Grab a book. I'm going to pick up a copy for sure. Um, especially for those of you who need some inspiration to dive in and and obviously maneuver while you're in there to have the faith, jumping into your businesses, jumping into the next level of your businesses. Real. that is our time. Thank you so much. Please plug. I have your Instagram handle below you here. Uh, anywhere else that uh, people can reach you um, to connect with you if they find
1: you? railbricker.com is probably the easiest you know there's information on there there's a lot of videos of uh, me on stage some full videos full length if you feel like watching an hour of me on stage in in a weird place like nepal where i opened a conference um there's lots of video footage there's railbricker.com i'm very active on linkedin Mm -hmm. and facebook um, and instagram but in, in any of those places and there aren't too many in fact i don't know of another railbricker in the world so i'm fairly easy to find and lots and lots of pages on google but i connect with anyone um for your listeners there's actually a giveaway they can actually download the book for free um i will i've sent you the link previously they can actually go to to slash free book and um Actually get a free e-copy. Obviously, you can buy the hard copy version. I'd love you to do that, but that's a different issue. Um, but um for those who don't want to to have the hard copy, they can actually download the free ebook um, from that website.
0: Perfect, perfect. Real, thank you so much for coming on, man. I hope we get to share the stage uh one day. If you ever need to promote anything, come back on the show, let me know. Um, I would love to connect, man. You're just a wealth of knowledge. And um, thank you for uh, sharing that knowledge with us
1: today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I can now go and have my second coffee for the morning at 6 a.m. Um, and and start the day bright and fresh.
0: <laughs> there you go, real. Thank you guys for joining on the live. Remember, to share like we're going to be on every single audio platform spotify stitcher pandora we're on iheart radio now uh thank you guys for listening hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it for you till next time peace
1: this is the entrepreneur underdog business secrets to help doubted entrepreneurs triumph the Underdog Entrepreneur is where we use fast-acting shortcuts to help underdog entrepreneurs make more money, have a bigger impact, and live a better lifestyle, so that they can prove their haters wrong. And now, your host, Roy Red. Roy Red.